this conversation that we're having now, I don't think we could have had it two years ago. I think people in Europe would feel very uncomfortable even saying people of color, women of color. And we're having these conversations. And I think that is, these are baby steps and we are growing. And that's, that's I think, progress. And so that's good. <laughs> Well, hello everyone. I'm Daniela. I'm part of Factory Berlin team, social media manager here. Uh, and the first question is, is there anyone who is not member of Factory Berlin? Okay. So for those who don't know what Factory Berlin is, we are a curated network of more than 4,500 members, 70 plus nationalities across different disciplines. And we are all here to reimagine the world of tomorrow. And today we have an event organized by Female Business Angels podcast. Hello. Katja here and there is also Bettine, but unfortunately she couldn't join us today for personal reasons. Uh, Female Business Angels podcast is uh, giving voice to the most active and passionate female business angels and scouts and gets their individual perspective on investing and changing the world. Right now, around 0.5% of venture capital goes to women of color founders. And today's live podcast recording is a very special one. It's for International Women's Month. And we will examine the status of startup funding for the global majority and interview the team of Founderland, Deborah Choi and Stephanie Von Beer, about their work to empower just that. So let's give a warm welcome to our host and our speakers, and we hope you enjoy it. Thanks for the warm intro. Yeah, welcome to the very first live recording of Female Business Angels podcast here at Factory Kreuzberg in Berlin. We are very honored to be here. And yeah, happy belated International Women's Day. So today's topic of our podcast will be breaking the bias. As you know, that was the big international claim of the Women's Day campaign across the globe. And we want to look into racial bias, into the bias female founders of color experience. Normally, as you know, the topic of our podcast is to demystify angel investing and to empower more women to join the movement. So to become an angel investor, mentor, supporter of female founders. And the statistics look a bit better than the ones Daniela just presented so we know that uh, according to the latest Atomico report, 1.1%, it's a bit better, 1.1% of the funding went to female founders, so exclusively female teams in Europe. Yeah, thanks. And 8.8% went to gender mixed teams. So if we uh, do math, it's uh, yeah, less than 10% with at least one woman in the team. So we are in 2022, which is a bit shocking. And we are, so our purpose is really to move these statistics towards 50-50. And uh, today we want to look yeah, into another aspect of it that is also not only gender diversity, but to yeah, uh, look a bit further. So maybe let's, uh, let's introduce ourselves. So I'm Katya, I'm the podcast host. I'm uh, white, I'm half Russian, half Ukrainian. I have blue hair right now, so for the listeners, I don't know if that's diverse. I'll head over to my very special guest today from the Foundland. 
Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for inviting us on the podcast, Katya and Factory, for hosting. Um, yeah, I'm Stephanie Von Baer, and I am a native New Yorker who's been living in Berlin for eight and a half years. I'm also a mom. I'm a white woman. I have silver hair because of the pandemic has made me go gray. And I will pass it on to Deborah now. Thank you, Steph. And thank you so much, Katya. And thank you, um, Factory, for hosting today's conversation. Um, so I'm Deborah. And I am, what am I? I am Nigerian-American, first of all. I was born in Nigeria. My family moved to the U.S. Uh, when I was quite young. And Europe's been home now for almost seven years. Uh, I am an entrepreneur. Um, most of my career has been an entrepreneur. And today I'm happy to be one of the co-founders of Founderland, uh, which is kind of a different hat for me um, because I've been... Uh, now four times a founder for for-profit ventures. Um, so Founderland is a non-profit entity is, is a new space to be in, but it feels like the right one at the right moment, for sure. Yeah, thank you so much for joining. So maybe, I mean, since it, we're living in really hard times and especially like, giving my heritage, what I was shocked about when I watched news like last week that, well, I mean, there are so many people trying to flee the conflict zone, they were trying to flee the war, and even in under this like, humanitarian crisis circumstances, there was racial discrimination. So people who were trying to flee Ukraine, mostly women and kids, who did not look Slavic, so African and Asian-looking students, young professionals, they were discriminated at the border, so that was so shocking to me because obviously, I mean, we are very privileged here. So we live in uh, in this middle class bubble and we have other struggles, of course, maybe being women. But that is something that really struck me and we were already preparing the today's session. So I thought, wow, so even if under like the survival circumstances, this discrimination happens. So how is it then if you enter in a boardroom as a not just as a woman but as a woman of color and you cannot pitch your business in the same way white men would do I don't know tell us more about how did you experience that and how did the founderland idea came to life how you met so yeah over to you yeah so I mean I think Katya I mean you you bring up the the moment where we're at right now, what's happening in Ukraine and what's happening to all the people who are trying to leave um, the situation for safety, for security. And I just want to touch on that for a moment before we get into our topic for today, because it's important. Um, I mean, you're absolutely right. There's been, of course, a lot of the reports that you're, you're speaking to that maybe we've all seen or, or heard um, that certain um, you know people of color who are trying to leave as well have had difficulties in doing so. And, you know, I have to say, personally, I've, I've had a lot of conversations in my networks about what do we do about this? How do we feel about this? Um, you know, what's new here? And, you know, I'll tell you a little bit more about myself. So my parents fled a civil war in Nigeria. Um, they were internally displaced. So they moved 
from one part of the country to another and eventually moved to the U.S. not because of a refugee situation, but because of an economic opportunity, an opportunity for education and, and a better life for um, myself and subsequently my, my siblings. And I bring that up to say, right now we're in a very hard moment, but the, the silver lining or the glimmer of hope that I hold on to is that we as, as people have a capacity for rebirth for regrowth, for new roots. And, you know, this is not new. This is tragic. But my hope and what I kind of rest my, my own attention on is the, the belief that, you know, what, what is also not new is that we will rebuild again. So I stand with the people of Ukraine. And um, I do think it was important for us to at least reflect on this before going into our topic today. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks also for sharing your very personal story. And I think, so for me, the, I mean, obviously the whole situation is shocking. I'm still processing it, especially for me. It's very close to home. I have my family living on my couch, literally. So I am from Kiev. And uh, growing up, maybe my personal story. So I was born in the Soviet Union in 1985. That was the year of perestroika. And uh, everyone looked the same. Everyone looked like me, so everyone was white. Well, I mean, Kiev is a very international city, so there were three to four million people living there. And uh, people speak Russian, Ukrainian, uh, Hebrew, French, English. So it used to be like hub. And maybe someone who looked different, it would be an exchange student or son or daughter of an exchange student, but it would, everyone would turn around and look at this person in the metro on the street. So it was really rare. But uh, when I moved to Berlin and also traveled to the US and traveled the world, so I, I don't know, I realized, okay, yeah, we're just people. So you get along with some people, with others you get, uh, maybe you don't have that much in common and it doesn't matter how you look. And um, and I think that what what's happening right now, that was really shocking that Even in that situation, like this aspect came to life. There are, now there are more people of color, obviously, living in Ukraine than back in 1985. But there are not that many. It's, it's, I think it's a tiny fraction. And still, there was this discrimination. <laughs> I thought, like, whoa. So, yeah. And maybe let's go now to the... I truly believe in rebirth as well and that we have to be strong, eliminate the bias and uh, stick together and yeah, just kind of believe this is happening in the 21st century. <laughs> I think that um, just to add, first of all, thank you, Deborah. I love your message of hope and I also feel um, I have to have hope and I have to have faith that something um, will come out of this, something good will come out of this. Um, maybe it's, it's the fact that we lean on each other, we connect more, we build community, we host Ukrainian refugees, and we learn from cultures that are potentially different from us. I myself am hosting refugees starting on Sunday, a mother and a son, and I'm scared and um, excited, but this is the times we're living in. And I just want to say also that for me, um, I've always kind of been someone who is trying to connect with different types of people from different walks of life. For me, that's what brings me life. That's what makes me feel alive. I don't want to just speak to everyone who is from New York, who's a white woman, who had a, the same education as me. That's just boring. And I truly believe that diversity enriches us all. And I think that, you know, when George Floyd was murdered in 
the summer of 2020, the whole world had a reckoning about what was going on. And I think that social media, with all of its ills, it was very powerful. And these types of things that we're seeing on the front lines in Ukraine and these these students, these African students who cannot get across. Or Ukrainians, they just look differently. So maybe yeah. the Ukrainians you're hosting, maybe they are they are black or they're Asian looking. So the, what's yeah, what's the difference? They are Ukrainians as well. That's just the identity of yes. the globalized world. Exactly. Um, But yeah. the point I'm making is like social media is helping to bring forth, to surface these problems and um there's there's a there's a reckoning and we're all coming to to these difficult conversations like this conversation that we're having now i don't think we could have had it two years ago i think people in europe would feel very uncomfortable even saying people of color women of color and we're having these conversations and i think that is these are baby steps and we are growing and that's that's i think progress and so that's good <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. And I think, so yeah, this, I mean, this, this actually, this, so yeah, this showcase that it happens also, it's relevant here in Europe, it's close to home. And um, yeah, so I also remember when you started Founderland, so even it was a project, so you told me, and uh, I mean, out of my personal bias and little bubble, I said, yeah, okay, this is super cool, yeah, you're American, that's the right fit. I mean, I used to work for global companies, so we had that as well. How is that relevant for Europe? Yeah, so, yeah, to, to get to kind of what Founderland is and how we got started, uh, in many ways is also, for me personally, a story of the best founder relationship of my life. Um, so, I mean, Stephanie is, you can see her, she is comfortable with getting uncomfortable. And um, I think that part of, you know, what we do with Founderland is open up the space to talk about things that have so far been pretty quiet, um, that people felt uncomfortable talking about or looking at or addressing. And, you know, of course, the other kind of key part of our, our puzzle is Alina Bassi, who's not unfortunately here today. Um, but, you know, with Founderland, how we got started was uh, we were three women on three different paths entirely um, who had a common mission, and that brought us together ultimately. And what we're doing with Founderland is really trying to, in many ways, topple the way things work with entrepreneurship in Europe, to put it humbly. Um, I mean, and that for us starts off with saying... Political correctly. Okay, like, who, who, who's getting the least amount of capital here? Um, what kind of founder um, is not being re represented when we look at Forbes or TechCrunch, when we look at Gründerzene, when we look at accelerators, uh, when we look at the portfolios of the top VC funds, and what we continue to find time and time and again... Um, and it's not just our anecdotal story, it's the numbers, is that women of color are the most underrepresented founder. And why is that? The why is that part is, is the conversation, is the moment. Um, but with that in mind, we saw, okay, less than 0.5% of VC capital goes to women of color. This they is are the global majority. That is the topic of and this our is the global majority. Podcast and today. if you're yeah. not familiar with this terminology, I mean, it, I mean, we are also kind of new to it. Um, I mean, it's it's a different way of looking at what are we talking about when we're talking about women of color or people of color, um, and it it speaks to you know the colonial histories also um, that are part of 
movements of people, um, movements of people who in other aspects are the majority, but in others are the minority, right? So, so this, is, this is absolutely what we're talking about today. Yeah, we're, we're trying to center people of color because for the last history that I've been alive for, whiteness has been centered and that is not the majority and that needs to be, we need to start talking about what that means. What, why, is, why, why is someone white and someone non-white? No, we don't use that terminology because we are centering people of color. We're decentering whiteness because <laughs> the system that upholds this is a system that if we don't look closely at, we are all a part of. And if, and if we don't talk about it, then we are, we are, yeah, we're a part of that same problem. So look, it's, it's a journey. Um, I'm definitely learning every day and I make it my job to educate myself. So I don't look away. I look towards it. It's, it's, it's rough. It's, it doesn't always feel comfortable, but I've gotten used to being uncomfortable and, um, I think it's really important to listen to podcasts, to follow social media profiles that aren't, don't, people that don't look like you, even if it's like, I don't know, right wing crazy people. <laughs> that was um, biased. But that's, that's my bias, you know? And that's that, and let's actually dig in a little bit to what bias is and why, you know, bias is a shortcut our brain makes to get us through the day. It, we, we could not exist as humans. Unless, with, unless we had bias. And sometimes it serves us and sometimes it doesn't. And so the reason why we are breaking the bias and how we break the bias, especially with Founderland, is sort of looking at the constructs that create bias. So what is one construct? Okay, I'm a, let's say I'm a woman of color founder. I go into pitch and I'm asked a question that I know a white man wouldn't have been asked. How do I deal with that? How do I deflect? How do I speak and stand in my power and not get uncomfortable because I'm feeling like a microaggression coming on onto me. So there's so many different ways that we can um, educate ourselves, be stronger, and we do it together in community, in this collective, which is Founderland. Did, did you have any stories or where any revelations or statements that you've encountered on your journey so far that you heard from other founders that were really surprising, something you'd like to share in an anonymous way or is the queries, like besides the statistics? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I realized, Katya, if I, if, I, if I may, I realized that um, I didn't say so concretely what Founderland does. Um, so we are an organization, a nonprofit, um, based here in Berlin, uh, but we serve women of color founders across Europe and the UK. And what we do is we offer a peer community. Uh, we believe that there's power in numbers. Um, and for that community, we have events and so forth. Um, but we also are very much focused on getting more women of color um, funded with access to capital, access to angels, access to VC, um, access to public funding, um, all with the goal to level the playing field, um, to create more uh, role models and representations of success in what, what it looks like to be an entrepreneur in Europe. Um, because we believe in doing so, we're, we're truly creating new representations for the next generation of founders. 
um, who then can maybe see themselves in more um, more founders and, and, and see this as a path for themselves um, for, for, for to create a business and wealth creation and so forth. I mean, I think we're, we're all mothers here. So there's the added kind of uh, motivation for us in thinking about on a kind of personal level, but also society, like how are we changing the game here for our children so that the path is easier, um, the path is clearer, the path is safer, right? And, you know, for us, this is something that's really important to, you know, what we're building that the women in our community are all quite early, early stage, early on in, in their journey. Um, but we believe that over time, when we think about the future of Founderland, um, these are the women that we want to get their Series A, get their Series C and D, become angel investors, um, you know, reinvest back into diverse founders. Um, and we think that we can kind of kick off that cycle by first connecting um, and then um, kind of opening up the playbook really for, for the venture capital side. Yeah, and just to add to that, um, this this point about visibility is so important for if, if all we see are images, I, I have posted many times about this on LinkedIn that all I see on EU startups is the same photo of the same three guys. And I... Three and, white guys on the bridge? Yeah. You know, and this, it, it really hurts me to see it every day. Like, it, it, it's something that I that gets me really going. But I use that that anger and I try to focus it into this into this project. And um, that feels good and that feels right. And so that's what I'm doing. But I think like this point about visibility, so we need to see more examples of women of color founders. So then what happens is it's like a, it's kind of a disruptive thing to do. It has like two purposes. One, it's the right thing to do, but it's also disruptive because at the end of the day, if I'm a white VC and I see more women of color founders popping up in my feed, then maybe when they come in, my bias, my unconscious bias, because I don't think they're doing it on purpose, all of them, We'll, we'll just have a shift and say, oh, I actually won't ask them this question. They don't know it, but they're they're doing it. And so that's that's what we're trying to do. Just love of the playing field. We're, we're, we're coming at it with all different strat strategical tools. Yeah. And I mean, you, you asked the question of kind of like, what are some of the challenges that has been in on our path? And, you know, for sure, we've gotten the question, I think less so now, but definitely along this journey of, why this focus? Are there even enough women of color founders? That's what I asked Steph. For you to be creating to. a whole organization around, yeah. right? Um, so we've definitely had this and, you know, there's a lot there in answering that question. Um, but what I always try to liken this to is, you know, imagine, I don't know, let's, let's think of a different kind of space. Let's think about, you know, if, if you were, I don't know, what is it called, a landscape architect, someone who's designing public spaces, a public space architect. And um, instead of thinking about, I don't know, the status quo, which is like Joe Schmo and how he's going to navigate this space, what if we started with um, disabled people, physically disabled, or started with small children or pregnant women and how they navigate this space? all of a sudden we might see more toilets or more lighting or more, you know, crosswalks that are, you know, kind of, I, I, my, my stepfather, before he died several years ago, he, he had brain cancer. 
And this disabled him and he had to be in a wheelchair. And that was when I learned that not all sidewalks are the same at all. Um, most of them are actually really, really difficult to roll the wheels of a wheelchair over to get to the other side. So, you know, in thinking about this, if you think about if we, if we work on building something for the, the weakest link, the, the smallest piece, the pregnant woman who wants to also navigate this park, the result is a fantastic park. Oh, my goodness, for everyone. And, you know, with, with this kind of thinking, this is what is driving how we think about Founderland. You know, what does it look like to eliminate piece by piece these biases, these walls, these obstacles that make it difficult for women, for women of color, for women of color migrant founders, for women of color migrant founders who are mothers, for all the different intersections of someone's identity? What if we made these elements, um, less obstacles and more assets. Um, and if we do that, you know, what does that change for everyone here, right? Yeah, I think it's a very good analogy. It actually, it reminds me of something I've seen a couple of years ago. So like another trend we are seeing in the society is aging population. So we will have to rede redesign spaces for older people so what designers have done was to come up with a special suit they would put on so it would be more difficult to stand up from the sofa if the sofa is too soft like from or sit back or they also did like special glasses they were yellow so it's like cataract uh, I don't know how to say it in English so you so you, your sight would be different Uh, you had to wear gloves because you, your hands get uh, different. So um, young designers were wearing this um, <laughs> you know, this equipment to design the spaces for the aging population. So how do you approach the problem? So you want to redesign the whole navigation layer. Uh, I mean, you cannot build a suit, I guess. But uh, so are you are you doing field research? Mystery shopping, interviews. <laughs> What's your approach? I'm just going to backtrack a bit because when we started, um, we wanted to tackle, we tackle one thing at a time, right? Baby steps. And Stop we tackle, yeah. So our MVP was um, a very quick website we threw up with three calls to action, one for allies who are interested in supporting women of color founders, one for investors, and one for women of color founders. And what we found was that Enabling um, out-of-network founders, let's just also use that terminology, with warm intros to investors, they felt more safe in these in these 30-minute meetings that we enabled. We enabled over 60 meetings. And that was our first MVP. And it was successful insofar as we got feedback from our community. But the feedback we also got was that nothing came of that, meaning they didn't get the money from that 30-minute um, meeting. And that was also good insights for us. And we thought, okay, of course they didn't get that because that's a 30-minute meeting and we need to do more. And what do we need to do? And we went back to the drawing board many times. And so now we're on this journey of like, what are all the ways that we can support our community? And what was really awesome is that last year we got, or this year, we got awarded uh, $700,000 from Google.org. We applied for an impact challenge and we were one of... Uh, 8,000 applications, but on only one of 34 organizations around the world to get funded. And we were, we we're pretty much the youngest. Really impressive. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, and we, 
we believe um, as the, one of the youngest organizations to get funding, and when I say young, we literally just founded our <laughs> Founderland as an official org in February. Uh, well, in January. So um, we're babies, you know, and we got it because we are startup founders. We're innovative. We, we're iterating. We're thinking. We're doing user research. We're talking and listening to our community. And I think that that is, that is informing all of the things that we're doing. And so what are we doing in the next year, two years, three years? This year, we are planning to launch a investor readiness. Uh, I say accelerator, but that's a placeholder word because we want to invent new terminology because we want to do something different. We don't want to be an, just like another accelerator. Um, and we're building that curriculum now, and it's going to be amazing. Um, and in the meantime, we have once a month community events um, usually with a really inspiring speaker or always with a really inspiring speaker. And those are, you know, people can join them or not. It's totally up to them. They're always on a Friday. And um, we're constantly um, making warm intros, which we can do now because we're small. We have 150 founders now in our community, um, completely organic growth. But as we scale, it's going to be harder for us to just do these intros. So we're trying to find software that we can match our founders with um, with investors yeah. that make sense. And uh, I don't know, have I left anything out in the roadmap? No. So yeah, that's kind of what our plan is. And we're having magical moments all the time in our meetings about more stuff that we can do. But we're a really small team. Myself, Deborah, Alina, we just hired a amazing community manager and a social media manager. Oh, I didn't talk about the research. Maybe you want to talk about our research grant that we just got. Yeah. yeah. So as you can hear, there's a lot going on. Um, and um, yeah, so in addition to everything that Stephanie um, just shared for our roadmap for this year, uh, we are also working on uh, more data around our topic, around the issues that we're really trying to address through our programming and through the support of sponsors. Um, because one thing that we have really struggled with um, in our space when we talk about people of color and women of color is um, the data to support and to show where we are right now and, and where things are going. And I think that, you know, there's all sorts of historical reasons for that, and I'm sure there's some good reasons and at some point. Um, but, I mean, the reality is when you look at, say, um, continental Europe, we don't have continental European numbers about, for example, how many women of color are business owners on the continent or in Germany, um, and how many women of color are... Um, you know, are in are in portfolios. We have gender data, which is the first step, um, but there's a long way to go to kind of get to these intersectionalities. And in our case, this intersectionality of ethnicity, race, and gender. What we see in the U.S. Um, is a kind of really different story. Um, what we see there, which gives us hope, is that, you know, there is a lot more data. I think that's also historical with the census in the U.S. and so forth around what's happening when we're talking about specific groups and also groups in, in, in um, like, at large, like uh, women of color. And there, you know, what I see is that when we can track the data, then we have something we can react to, of course. So, you know, for example, to say that, you know, 10% 
of, um, you know, startup teams in, or founder teams rather in Europe have women in them and we want to get to 50%, we know where we are and where we're getting to. Yeah. We need those numbers, right, to actually make a change, to mobilize resources. And so, you know, lacking a lot of that data in Europe for our, our topic, for our, the group that we're trying to support with Founderland, we decided guess we have to go and find that data ourselves yeah so i mean luckily we were able to get some funding to do that um but it's it's been tricky for sure to to look at some of these things and to really be able to say let's hold this this ecosystem accountable to these numbers but we first need to find them and to add to that um you know as you can tell from us we we have a lot of plans and we want to do a lot and we, of course, wanted the data right away. We, this is what was our goal when we got this funding. But we're working with the Fox Hochschule Academy, uh, University, and they are professional social scientists. They're academics. And they said, for your first research <laughs> project, maybe it's best to focus on the qualitative, you know? And we were like, no, we need the numbers. Mm-hmm. We want to do a massive survey. Um, but we're, we're, we realized that actually we have to start, again, we're always reminded we have to start small. So we're doing user interviews, qualitative interviews on women of color, business uh, startup founders or business owners, tech-enabled, in Berlin. And we have this funding for this grant for this year. And that's why we hired an academic researcher. And once we do that first research project, our next research project, which I'm already planting the seeds for, will be Europe-based on women of color founders. And that will be the one with the data. Yeah, we look forward to it. It's, yeah, and I think it's, I mean, it's very interesting because it's tech-enabled startups and founders receiving VC funding. So it's a completely different angle to being a founder or a business owner because I, I, I think I've seen some statistics that actually uh, small and medium business owners in Germany, it's a big chunk of them are, are immigrants. So maybe not necessarily women, but... Um, so they are more entrepreneurial, but it doesn't mean they go and raise millions from, um, yeah, from the VC. So yeah, really looking forward to that report. And what I'm like to share my experience. So since I flipped the sides and um, pausing a bit on angel investing and becoming a founder myself, and uh, well, spent the last uh, couple of days in VC meetings, so raising our pre-seed round. I must admit there are quite a few women on the VC side, so in early stage funds, but maybe again, maybe it's my network and my similarity bias, so I, I know them, that's why we got this meeting. Um, but yeah, different different women, women of color as well, very brilliant, smart people. So that was something really positive. And we actually wrote on our pitch deck, so my co-founders are men, so we are three, and we wrote on our pitch deck that it's the diversity, the gender diversity aspect is very, we started with gender diversity, that that's very important to us because um, yeah, we also, we're doing a startup in Web3 and there are only 5% of women. So the crypto statistic, yeah, is also a bit sad and we want to have 50-50. And we had a couple of awkward situations. So some meetings were just guys, they said, like, okay, yeah, we can't help you with that. But yeah, 80% of funds were, I, I like that, the situation. So we're pretty mixed. So yeah, it's, it's been a very interesting conversation. 
And I think I just have the last question to you. We always ask uh, our podcast guests, uh, what if there would be one thing you could improve in this world? What would it be? Personally, as an organization, we talked a lot about like many noble missions, but... Um, yeah. For me, it would be that um, we would have more emp empathy and that people would be able to be more vulnerable because I think that um, these representations that we see of women CEOs, um, it feels, it still feels to me like women are trying to be men. And I lean in so much to my, I'm super emotional, super vulnerable person, and I lean into it. And the more I lean into it, the more real I am and the more people are attracted to me. If I try to be like a man, that's not going to work. So I think if we could all try to be a bit more who we really are, then the world will, of course, be a better place because... Our true selves will shine. And yeah, it sounds a little naive, but it's my true feeling. <laughs> really good. Yeah, I think what I would add to that, which I, I love this question, is I would wish for us all to be born kind of pre-programmed with 15, 20 different languages in, under our belt. It's convenient. I mean, speaking as an American who stumbles through her German, it's, it would be super convenient to just all of a sudden, you know, go for it in Do auf Deutsch. Um, that said, I, I do think that there's something to, and it's also about empathy and understanding and connection. Um, there's so much in language. There's so much about how to express yourself and emotion. And I think that these are some of the things that can make walls and also make bridges um, between people and it would make life a lot easier <laughs> to be able to just razzle-dazzle through my, my list of, um, my, li my language list and just see, okay, what's, what's, which language will I use today to, to make the connection happen? That's always my answer to the superpower question, that I could speak every language. Plug in the Google Translate into your brain, build bridges, and be more vulnerable. So yeah, and let's break bias. So on that note, oh, thank you so much for coming here, being with us offline. And um, yeah, let's wrap up and happy International Women's Month. So hopefully women and women of color and everyone on this planet can make this place a better place. Thank you so much. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. 
you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.